This is the Family Resemblance CC Part 3. So we've been working through this series. This started really in verse 18. So as we looked when we came to verses 18 and we worked through those last two sermons, we've got to go back to what is the context of what we're talking about. How did we get to these verses and why is Paul saying what he's saying to these people? So, okay, so first, the, the first part of this sermon, Paul was talking to husbands and wives. So he's addressing those wives first, then he's addressing the husbands. The second one, he was talking to children and then to fathers. So there's that different family dynamic, the husbands and wives and the children and fathers. Part three is coming to the slaves and masters or bond servants and masters. So what's the whole unifying piece that brings all this together? Well, there's a couple of things. First, they're all part of this local church. Every single one of them is part of this church. Paul is addressing them specifically with specific purposes with specific goals, but they're all part of the church. So they're all in the same basket here as Paul's addressing them. It doesn't matter their age. It doesn't matter their race. It doesn't matter their gender. It doesn't matter what their role is as employee or employer. They're all addressed in the same church as part of that same church. Different roles, different responsibilities, but they're part of that local church. So, so they're all on the same page there. Second of all, Paul's addressing them from the same standpoint that they all have in Christ. They all have to remember first that Christ is preeminent over all things. So he, they have to remember that Christ is preeminent over everything, over their household, over their marriage, over their work, over everything. Christ is preeminent over all things. So his authority is what goes. They have to remember that. Second of all, they have to remember that they are bearing the image of Christ. So we saw the preeminence of Christ in chapter 1, 15 through 23. We see the life of Christ that should be in them, coming through them, found at the end of chapter 1, 15 through 23, how they've been redeemed, they've been bought back, he set them apart, they're sanctified, but they are also bearing that image of Christ. We see that in Colossians 3, 12 through 17. That's the immediate context just before this set of verses. So as we said last time we worked through this, this is a letter, it was meant to be read all together at the same time, not disjointed like we have to do when we're preaching a sermon. So as these, now as we come to slaves and masters, would have been hearing this, that life of Christ and all those things that are listed for them would have been forefront in their mind. They would have just heard it, and now it's being applied to them. Let me go ahead and read what those things are, those things that they were to put on. And it'll help set the stage for where we go here in verse 22. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. 
Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. There's the life of Christ that they're to be displaying. Irregardless of whatever their role, their position, their gender, their age, whatever, that is what they're to be displaying because of the preeminence of Christ. He is over all things. So here we come then to 22, chapter 3, 22, and we're going to finish out the chapter for this first point. They're there to bear the family resemblance as an employee. Now that's our context, an employee, but what is, what is Paul's context as he writes? Here's what he says. Slaves, obey in everything those that are in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. For you are serving, you are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. So slaves. What's the cultural context there? Because we have to go back and find out what's that cultural context. Why is he addressing slaves? Uh, this is, a, again, one of those places where just understanding the culture is helpful. In that day, slavery was typical. Now, what we think of as slavery was there as well, where it was just a very extreme example of here's the master, here's the slave, they're basically garbage, and they just have the slave do, master has a slave do whatever they want. That was present, but that's not actually what Paul is talking about here when he's addressing slaves. He's addressing bond servants. So that's another word. It's translated slaves, but you can understand it as bond servants. So what is a bond servant? A bond servant was somebody who is still a slave, but they are so willingly. They have decided on purpose to be a slave. You may have started as a slave without any rights, without any privileges, because you were in debt. That was one reason why they had slavery in Paul's time, because you owed a debt. You might have borrowed money from somebody because you needed to pay off whatever, and then you needed to pay that person back. And until you do, you are that person's slave. You're just going to do whatever work is needed to earn up to having paid off your debt. It's, I suppose, kind of like that old idea of you can't pay for your meal, so you go wash the dishes. It's kind of that same idea here, only on a much grander scale and a much longer scale, depending on how much you owe. So this person is the slave until they've paid off that debt. Well, what happens if that person realizes, hey, there's really good job security here? You know, I might want to just stay working for this person. You know, I might have been a slave, but they actually did a really good job. I feel like I could stay working here, and I don't really want to leave. Maybe they've even come to really love the master they were working for. They've come to really enjoy that, just working for that person, let alone the fact that it's good job security. So then they became a bond servant. They're choosing willingly to say, I want to continue to work for you. I'm going to be your slave. That was shown traditionally through having a hole pierced through their ear. Might have put their ear up to a door frame or something like that, and then there was a nail or something driven through their ear. So there's a very visible hole that is, that is there. It wasn't even, I imagine, just the idea of just an ear piercing. You can sort of see it. I think this was probably a very visual thing. People could see you were a bond servant. And that was done on purpose. So this is a bond servant. They have chosen willingly to be in this context, to be right there working for that master. 
Now, we don't have bond servants in the same way today. You, we, we are employees. So that's, that's what we are. We're not bond servants, we're employees. Sometimes you might feel like you are a slave. Sometimes you might feel like you're being worked more than is right or more than you should be. But at the end of the day, you still have a whole lot of freedom to decide, am I going to continue to work here or not? Are you going to stay in that job? Are you going to find a new job? Are you going to look for a different position within the company? So you might feel like a slave, but you're really not. You're choosing to be there. But that's our context. We don't have bond servants in the same way. So that's our context. We're employees. Okay. So how were they to obey? So the bond servants, Paul is writing to them, say to, he's saying that they need to obey in everything. Same thing for us. Obey in everything. That means even those parts of the job you really don't like. And you can probably think of your jobs now. If you're not retired or too young to be holding a job, you can probably think of specific jobs that you have done over the years, or maybe you're even currently working in a job, and there's a part of that job you just really, really don't like. I can think back to when I was at Lancaster Bible College. One of the jobs that I had was working as a safety officer. So I wasn't actually a security guard. We didn't get to carry any cool weapons or anything like that. But we did go make sure the campus was safe. So I would work most of the time. My shift was midnight to 4 AM or 8 PM to 4 AM. So we would go around campus when it was good weather. It was actually really nice because I got to walk around and uh, two of us working at, at a time. One person would do a, a patrol and go around the outside of the buildings just check and make sure everything was locked up properly. Sometimes we'd find a gym door that was left open or somebody forgot to lock the library or something like that. So we'd go around and just check all the doors. Never really found anything too suspicious. Sometimes I'd find students coming back later than they should be, but never anything really too, too uh, off the wall. Uh, but then the other person had to go in after you did the exterior. They'd have to go in and check all the inside doors. That took a whole lot longer. But it was actually a whole lot nicer sometimes because it wasn't always nice and sunny. It wasn't always warm down there in southern Pennsylvania. Sometimes it was raining. Sometimes it was snowing. And you still had to do those exterior patrols. So I really disliked doing those exterior patrols when it was raining or it was snowing because we had a, we had a guard shack. It was really more just like a little bit bigger shed that they had put some windows on the outside. And the heaters they put in there for us really didn't do enough to keep you warm. So we'd go out and do our patrol at 3 in the morning or whatever. It's pouring rain. It's like 40 degrees. And you're walking around wishing you were anywhere else but checking the outside doors. Still had to do the job. I hated that part of the job. Because often what happened when my uh, 4 AM shift would finish, I go back, by the time I fall asleep, it's 4.30. Then I had to get up and I had class for an hour and a half at 7.30. So I didn't like that part of the job. I still had to do it, though. That was still my responsibility. I still needed to do even those parts that I really didn't like. And that's the same for each of us, too. We need to be doing those jobs, those pieces that we don't really like. Paul's addressing these servants, and clearly, or these slaves, these bond servants, clearly this was an issue they were dealing with. Clearly, they were pieces of their work that Paul's needing to address. He's not there with them, but he's hearing from others what's going on. He's hearing about what's happening within that church. This is a real problem for them. This is a real need. They need to be serving in all of those things, even the parts that they don't really like. And how are they to be doing that? Well, they're not to be doing it, Paul says, by way of eye service as people pleasers. That's the opposite of how they're supposed to be doing their work. Don't do it just for eye service, just so that somebody can see you doing that work. 
How many of you, and you can think of it, you don't have to raise your hand, how many of you have ever had an experience where you hired out work to somebody, whether that was to your, uh, get work done on your car, to get work done on your house, to get work done in your yard, whatever it is, you hired that work out to have somebody do that work, and it looked like they did a good job at surface level, but when you went back and looked at it and inspected a little bit closer later on, you realized that really wasn't the best work in the world. You ever had that experience? Okay, you're probably thinking, yeah, I got, I got one person very adamant yes in the back. I can think of very specific examples around cars. Uh, it didn't happen to me, it happened to a family member that they had bought a car from somebody who said they were a Christian. And the car came to them and they looked at it and, and the family member who was looking at it knew just enough about cars to look inside and look and realize that's probably not the best work that should have been done. There's probably more that should have happened here. So then what happens? What happens then to that person? Now, their testimony is shot. Now, people are looking at them and the work that they're doing, and they're not seeing somebody who did a good job. They're seeing somebody who just did the bare minimum, just the surface level. All they did was just enough to get by. Yeah, it looked right when the hood was down, but you open up the hood, and it reveals that there was only half-hearted work done on the inside. The eye service was done. They were pleasing people. The outside looked right. But when you really inspected it, the work on the inside was lacking. The work on the inside wasn't demonstrating a life controlled by Christ. Where we would be working in all things, in all ways, to glorify him. Letting the work of Christ, the life of Christ, as was listed here in 12 through 17, come through us and overflow even into the menial things that we do. Even in the things that we disdain. So it's shoddy work. It gives a poor example. And this is where that hits home for us, is, is that you? In the work that you do, does that represent you? And I can't answer that for any of you. You have to answer that for yourself. I have to answer that for me. In the work that I do, am I doing it? Are you doing it for eye service as people pleasers? Is it showing up in the work that you're doing? Because people are seeing you. And when you're doing your work, who are you representing? You're representing your job. You're representing yourself. But above all of that, you're representing Christ. You should be known as a believer. In your workplace, people should know just exactly who you are and what you stand for. You should not be able to hide the fact that you're a believer. It should just overflow out of you. Everybody ought to be able to see and to know that this person is a believer. I don't mean in, in an obnoxious way. Sometimes, sometimes we can be, uh, there's a thing going around when I was in high school called being over-Christian. And you could be obnoxious about how you, how you lived out your faith. That can happen. But if you're doing that well, if you're living out that life of Christ well within you, that ought to just flow naturally. It ought to be so much a part of who you are that it's impossible to hide that. So then the work that you do isn't just representing your job. It's not just re representing you as an individual. It's representing Christ. So you have to be so, so very careful how you are representing Christ. Some do that very, very well. I was thinking of Dave McCalman has Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 on the side of his van. He's done an excellent job of representing God and his word well, and I've heard some incredible opportunities that you've had because you've put that on the side of your van. 
It's because you work hard, you do a good job. And I was thinking of Norm Abrams from this old house. He says, do it right, do it once. Some of you know who Norm Abram is, but he's right. There's a lot of wisdom in that. You do it right, you do it once. You represent God well in the work that you do. Because when you don't do that work well, it's representing Christ poorly. People look at the work that you're doing and say, if that represents Christ, why would I want anything to do with that? They didn't do their job well. They didn't work hard at that. I had to go back and fix everything that they did. I sometimes think of the house that we bought. There are things on the house I had to go back and fix. I replaced most of the plumbing in my house. Somebody else will buy it from us later and have to do the same thing probably, but I did my best. <laughs> the work that you do, is it good work? Are you representing him well as somebody who cares enough to say, I'm doing this not for me, I'm doing this for Christ. We're doing this for him. You have to be so, so very careful how you do your work, not out of eye service, not just to please people, but you need to do it with sincerity of heart. Do it with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. You do this work because you love him. You love the work you do, perhaps, but you love him first and you love him most. Out of sincerity of heart, you're fearing him. You're not fearing man. Your job might be really awful. You might have a job that you just endure. But you can still go to that job every day and do your work and do your best. Why? Because you're not doing this just for man. You're not doing this just for yourself. You're doing this for the Lord out of sincerity of heart. You're working for him, not just your boss, but working for him. And I think a key verse that shows up, and I got these out of order, so there we'll jump to this are verses 23 and 24. So let's read 23 and 24 again. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as a reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. You're serving Christ. You're not serving your boss. Yes, you're working for them, but you're just working for them. You're not serving them. Ultimately, you're serving the Lord. And you can probably think back to jobs that you had too, where you had an awful boss. You can think of one of my very first jobs that I had in high school was as a busboy at a restaurant. So if any of you have ever worked in a restaurant, it is really hard work. They keep you going. And it's hard enough when you have one boss who's clear on, I want you to do this, I want you to do that. I had two bosses that didn't always talk to each other. So I'd start to do something over here to set up and you know, clear off a table and get it reset so that the waitresses can then be serving customers. And one boss would say, you're going to do this. And so I'd start doing it. And I'd get partway through, and the other boss would walk in and be like, what are you doing? So I'd have to reset and do everything the way he said. And then I'm walking out, and I run into the other boss. So then I'd get them at back and forth with the, and it was a mess. It was hard, but you can, do this, you can do those jobs where you have a boss that might be an awful person to work for because you're not working for them. Yes, it's your job, but you're working for Christ. You're working for him. God's more interested in the way that you do your work than in the work that you do. Because it doesn't matter so much whether you are a mechanic or you clean houses or you're an architect or a woodworker, a, a nanny, whatever it is. It matters more how you do that work. 
God cares about how you're doing that because you're not just representing yourself. You're not just earning money. That's important. You need to pay the bills. You need to be able to set some money aside for retirement. You need to be able to have some to live on and enjoy yourself. But that's not why you work. If that's why you're working, just to make it through the day, just to make it through the week, just to cover another bill, just to have another experience that you're going to pay for, life's just going to leave you empty. You're going to get to the end of your day. You're going to get to the end of your paycheck. You're going to get to the end of the year and say it was all for nothing. Why did I do that? It's going to leave you empty. But if you're doing your work for the Lord, then you can come into those jobs that are just those horrible jobs that you really don't enjoy, but you can have joy in that because you're not serving your boss. You're not serving your work. You're serving the Lord. You're doing it for him and for his sake. And that makes that so much easier to come into your week. You can think about your week ahead. You can think about what's coming up tomorrow for Monday. And you can walk into that with a changed perspective. How am I going to do this in light of the fact that I'm serving the Lord? I'm not just doing my job. I'm not just serving my boss. I'm serving the Lord. That makes it so much easier as I just think about myself. Because I think I've shared this with you before. I don't really enjoy public speaking. There are parts about this job that are really hard. Now, I stand up here, and I do a whole lot of public speaking. That's, that's basically what I end up doing most of the time is public speaking in some way. But you have to know I'm not doing this for you. If I was doing this just for your sake, Brian said, if I was doing this just for your sake, I'd refer you to other preachers who do a whole lot better job communicating and preaching God's word than I do. Hopefully, I'm learning and I'm growing, but there are others who do it exceptionally well, and I'm just doing my best. So I don't do it for your sake. I hope you get something out of it, but ultimately, I do it for the Lord because he put a call on my life to do this. And if he put a call on my life to do this, then I want to please him. I don't necessarily want to please you. I don't want you to walk away mad after a sermon. But I'm ultimately not doing it to please you. I'm doing it to please the Lord because he's the one who gave me the call to do it. And if I'm remembering that this work is for the Lord and it's not for man, then it helps me to do things that are naturally very uncomfortable for me. I can stand up here on a Sunday morning with about an hour's notice uh, to be able to preach a sermon that was only half-baked, half-thought through already. But I can do this because I'm serving the Lord. I'm doing this to serve him and to glorify him. And at the end of the day, even if, even if the sermon didn't turn out quite as spectacular as I would love it, I want to be able to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Because I was working for him, not working for man. So that's our goal. That's what we are to be doing, is to work for the Lord, not for man. When our hearts are in the right place, then our work can bear that family resemblance. And even in the most frustrating work, we can still find joy. So then we come to that verse right at the end, just before chapter 4. It says this, For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. So what's going on in that verse? What's happening there? So, okay, so for the wrongdoer, we'll be paid back for the wrong he has done. Who's the wrongdoer in this context? This is going to take a bit more study and a bit more preparation for me than just an hour's worth this morning. And Pastor Dave has probably got some really good thoughts and ideas from when he's preached through this. But I think you can see this two ways. Paul's addressing the bondservants here first. 
So the work that they're to be doing, the work that they're doing needs to be done right and in order. When they do it wrong on purpose, either whether it's as, as eye service, just as pleasing men, they're putting themselves forward for that judgment. They're putting themselves forward for the wrong. If they've done wrong, then naturally there's judgment that comes from that. Even above and beyond that, there's then that idea of who am I doing this work for? If I'm doing this for the Lord, then I can do my best, and that's going to be okay. If I'm doing this for man, then I'm opening myself up, too, for the Lord's discipline. I'm opening myself up that just as he chastises and and disciplines the son he loves, he's going to discipline us as well. So in the work that we do, we need to do it right. need to do it once. We need to do it to glorify God. Because when we don't, we open ourselves up to then God disciplining us. Now, that can be a good thing in our lives. That can be a great thing in our lives, to turn us around and push us back towards him. The next time we're doing this, we're doing it for his glory and not our own. We're doing it for his glory and not just to serve our boss, not just to get him off our back, not just to get that task accomplished, but we're doing it to glorify him. So it can go for those bond servants, but it can also mean something for the masters that are coming up next in chapter 4, where it says, the wrongdoer paid back for the wrong he's done, and there's no partiality. God doesn't distinguish between slaves and masters in his kingdom. At the end of the day, they're all under his preeminence. They are under him. He is over all things as believers because he's addressing, Paul's addressing these slaves and these masters as believers that are a part of this church. They are under that same, that same blanket that covers everybody, the preeminence of Christ and the life of Christ that is to be within them, that they're to be displaying, that people are to see. If they're not doing that well, and we're going to see as Paul addresses it in verse 1, then they're also putting themselves up for judgment, that God's going to deal with that wrongdoer, whether they're the bondservant or they're the master. Because God doesn't, doesn't distinguish. He doesn't show partiality. We're putting ourselves up there both in the same way, that God should chastise us and discipline us as a son. More to be looked into there. There's your homework, one of your, one of your pieces of homework. Go back do more study on this passage. I know I'm going to go back and continue to do more study on this passage, and perhaps in a future sermon series, we can go back through and we can preach through Colossians uh, 3, 22 through 4, 1 again, and we can see everything that we might have learned this time. But let's go ahead and look at chapter 4, verse 1. So the family resemblance as an employee, but how about the family resemblance as the employer? So chapter 4, verse 1 says, Masters, treat your slaves justly, and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Treat your slaves justly and fairly. You are to represent Christ just as much as the employer as you are as the employee. You are representing Christ as the owner of that business, as the shift leader, as the boss, whatever the case may be, you're representing Christ. How are you representing Christ? Now here, Paul's having to address them and saying, treat your slaves justly and fairly. That implies the fact that they were not treating their slaves justly and fairly. So something needed to be changed about how they were doing that, whether paying them their proper wages, whether that was giving them proper living quarters, whatever the cultural context was, it wasn't being done here. So it needed to be addressed. Something needed to change. The way that the life of Christ was shown in them needed to touch every single aspect of what they did, not just some things, 
all things. I think sometimes it's easy for us to let our brains slip into this idea that shouldn't come from the church. Perhaps it does, but I know it probably comes from outside the church in a greater extent. That Jesus stays in church, and we have our Jesus stuff here, and then we go out into the workforce, and then that's where the rest of life happens. Jesus doesn't stay in church. Jesus doesn't stay in this building. He doesn't live here. He lives here. So everywhere you go, you are bearing the image of Christ. In everything that you do, you are bearing his image. You are demonstrating him, whether you're the employee serving underneath someone, or you're the employer, and you have all these people that work for you, work under you. You're representing Christ. And the fact that Paul's having to write it here, in this context, to these people, and it's in Scripture for us, means that clearly this is something that God wanted us to hear and something God wanted us to understand and to learn and to grow through. If it was prevalent in Paul's context there as far as the masters, it's got to be present here too. And again, I can't see your hearts. I don't know which one of you are the the bosses. Some of you I know, I suppose. Uh, How are you treating your employees? Are you representing the life of Christ in how you're treating your employees? Are you doing that justly and fairly? Are you representing Christ well? Are you pointing your employees, let's say you're the believer, they're not. As they look at you and how you're leading, does that make them want to know Christ more? Or does that just totally turn them away from Christ? Do you wear Christ well on a Sunday morning, but then Monday morning shows up and you're just totally opposite? Nobody would know that you're a believer by the way that you act when you show up on Monday morning. And then by the time you get here on Sunday, something totally different. It's nice and clean cut on the outside. We can probably think of examples of people who do that. I hope that's not you. And each and every one of us, whether you think you do a good job or not, you have to step back reevaluate yourself and think, what am I doing that represents Christ well? What am I doing that does not represent him well? Because by the things that we say, the things that we do, the things we choose to represent in either what we wear or what we listen to, the way we treat our employees and those under us can have very negative consequences on how people look at Christ. Because you're not just representing your job. You're not just representing your company. You're representing Christ. So you don't have slaves. At least it shouldn't be so. You have employees. Treat them well. Treat them justly. Treat them fairly. Because Paul says you also have a master who is in heaven. And Paul's a good one to be able to say that. Because here's what he says in Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant or bondservant of Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Paul, a bondservant. He's a bondservant of Christ. He's willingly a slave for Christ. That's the place where each and every one of us ought to stand, a bondservant for Christ. Because we also have a master who is in heaven. We're not representing ourselves. We're not representing our work. We're representing Christ How we care for people ought to shine a light on who he is and what he's done in us and then what he's doing through us. We're a bondservant of Christ. We bear that image. It should be visible. Just like that bondservant had that hole that would have been uh, pushed through their ear. It would have been a visible representation of the fact that that's a bondservant. 
it ought to be a visible representation that we are Christ. We belong to him willingly, not out of compulsion. We weren't drafted into this. We weren't dragged into it kicking and screaming. We are willingly Christ, and we have a master who is in heaven. So we need to treat those that are under us in such a way that God gets the glory, that the preeminence of Christ is seen, and that the image of Christ, the life of Christ, is seen in us and seen through us, because we bear that family resemblance. So we've gone through now, and we've covered the husbands and wives, the children, the fathers, the slaves, the masters. Everybody's covered under the same same stroke there, the same blanket, whatever, same basket, whatever metaphor you want to use, all in the same place. We are underneath the preeminence of Christ over all things, whether that's your marriage, whether that is your household, your family, or your workplace. He is over all things, and his authority is to be known, it's to be understood as his ultimate authority. There's nothing else we want to drag into this that can change the fact that Christ is in control. And his word is the standard that we live by. And then that his life is what is to be seen through us in every aspect of what we do. No exceptions. You don't leave Jesus at church on Sunday. You carry him with you into the workplace, whether you're the employee or the employer. You bear the image of Christ. You bear that family resemblance. And as you bear that family resemblance, that should push people to to know who is Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that we can bear that family resemblance. Lord, I thank you that you work in us and work through us. You didn't have to use us, Lord. You don't need me. You don't need any of us to accomplish your purposes. But you use us, Lord. And you place us where you want us to be. You place us in the jobs that you've given us. You place us Uh, in the positions that we're in, whether that's the employee or the employer, whether we are given a lot to oversee or not much at all. But Father, we're to represent you well, to bear the life of your son radiantly, that others can see his life within us, that it overflows, it can't be hidden, and that as your life is seen in us, that then others want to know more about that. They want to understand who is Christ. So Father, I pray as we go into our Mondays, I pray that this is before us. I pray that we remember that we're doing this for you. We're not doing this for ourselves. We're not doing this just to pay the bills. We're doing this to glorify you. We're serving you, even if we have a hard job or an easy job or a meaningless or seemingly meaningless or thankless job. It's not before you. You see. You know. And at the end of the day, Father, we want to be able to hear, well done, good and faithful servant whether that's as the employee or the employer. We're doing this for you. So, Father, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.